What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode, I don't even know what number anymore, of Yanks Go Talking, the weekly U.S. soccer podcast. I am Jake, host of FIFA America, the YouTube channel, but I'm joined by my co-hosts, as always, Ryan and Tom. Tom, let's start with you. What's going on? What's new this week? Not much. Just finished up homecoming weekend here in rural New Mexico. Now it's, you know, celebrate the U.S. win and enjoy some cool soccer as we move through the rest of the semester. How about you, Ryan? Not much, man. Just a nice, relaxing weekend, which was good to have. Didn't have any too much going on. Uh, excited for this upcoming week, though. Uh, on Friday, I'll be taking off, going through down to Munich, so I'll get a chance to to watch the Munich Hoffenheim game live this weekend, and hopefully see another masterclass performance by Richards. Awesome. Let's see if he can put that consistency in in the Bundesliga and maybe get some more time with the U.S. Speaking of, let's talk about and wrap up the October window where Chris Richards, the man himself, the Hoffenheim man himself, started his first game for the U.S. against Costa Rica at home in Cincinnati. Or was that Columbus? I forget. Columbus. It feels like so long Columbus. ago. Columbus. All right, yeah. there we go. Cincinnati That's will why be I Mexico. Have you guys. <laughs> there we go. That's why I have you guys. All right, so I want to check in on how you're feeling now that we wrapped up that window. We got six points out of a perspective nine. We're sitting on 11 points total, good enough for second place in the table. Mexico is at 14 and first, and we play them, like you guys said, in Cincinnati in this November window coming up. On a one to 10 scale, in general, just how are you guys feeling coming out of this window? Ryan, let's start with you. I think I'll give it, we got six points. Let's give it a six. Uh, I think, you know, there were some decent things to come out of the window. I think we learned a lot, a lot of things that we had talked about already on how important the midfield is to progress our play. And I really hope coming out of this window that that's clear to not only the USMNT fan, but to the Federation and the coaching staff as well. How about you, Tom? I'm going to go six and a half about it's, you know, still not terribly confident, but we got the job done at, done at home. We beat a solid Costa Rica squad, even if they were, you know, a little bit older, we took care of business against Jamaica. Didn't look great against Panama. And that does give me some reason for concern, but overall we, you know, we saw positive signs for midfield. Our defense looked really good. We just got to figure out how to attack the ball and, I don't, I don't know. We, we, there's a lot to improve on, but there were signs of life and we're still really close to where we need to be to qualify. Two points per game would be for good enough for first in the group. 1.8 points per game is good enough for a strong second place finish. So if the goal is to qualify, we're right where we need to be. Even if it hasn't looked good, we've gotten the job done and I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm surprised at those scores, at those numbers. I'm I'm coming in way below you guys. I was thinking like a four or a four and a half, just because the the ever looming Greg Berhalter <laughs> continues to be a dark cloud over over our heads. Like when I go back and think about these games, and let, let's let's start with Jamaica. Right, we beat them two nothing. The only questions in that lineup was Paul Ariola and maybe Walker Zimmerman. And when we talked about that game in the last podcast, we were kind of saying. Well, let's see what happens with Ariola. Let's see what happens with Zimmerman. 
you know, if they don't play again or we rested someone else to fit in their slot, then maybe we feel better about that first game against Jamaica. <laughs> and then Panama happened. And then Paul Ariola was set to make his third start in as many games against Costa Rica before he got injured. So I'm I'm coming out of this window feeling very poor about our decision-making in terms of our lineups and our roster, but I'm feeling good about where we are in terms of points and the ability that we have to make the World Cup. That's kind of where I'm at. I, I feel bad yeah. about our maybe our performances or our lineups. I Although we did have some very positive performances. I don't know if that was because Timothy Weah was on the field when he wasn't supposed to be. It's just like too many question marks still in my mind. And I don't really trust Greg to make the right decisions when it counts. That's that's really the reason for my lower score. I, I still think we're in a good position to qualify for the World Cup. I'd like to make a point that, you know, we've looked very inconsistent, very poor, and Berhalter does need injuries to get the job done. But we threw out an Olympics-eligible roster. Literally every field player was eligible to be in the Olympic qualifying tournament in Guadalajara, and we could have actually thrown this roster out in an Olympics and still been within regulations. And we beat a veteran Costa Rica side and probably looked the best we've ever looked in a competitive match under Berhalter doing it. So... You know, there are still some big positives to take away, even if Berhalter is being forced into the changes we need to see based on fluke pre-match injuries. But Tom, we so, need that. We need those players <laughs> on the field to have that performance. <laughs> but go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, no, I'll, I've got two points that, that I'd go with. One, maybe I can bring your spirits up a little bit. That A little bit from the Honduras game, but also taking into account the Costa Rica game. The two times when, if you will, Greg's job has been on the line and only talking about the second half of the Honduras game, he's gotten it for the most part right. So what leads me, what makes me somewhat optimistic, and that's why I wouldn't go any higher than six, is the fact that it's two windows in a row that he, in the third game, when a lot of pressure has been on the table, he does get it right. Now, that may be from some outside influences, because the other question I'd have for you guys, and if everybody has their tinfoil hat ready, did Paul Arriola really get hurt? Did you see the hug after the game with Burhalter and Ariola? It seems like there was some consoling going on there to where potentially, I mean, I, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but Something tells me that there could have been some outside influences because everything that I was hearing rolling up to the game was Greg was still undecided on if he wanted Wea or um, Ariola to start. So it, it ju I just find it very interesting that some injury came into play. And then I, I'll admit I didn't see this weekend. Did Ariola play this weekend? I'm not sure. But if you're asking the I question of did someone intervene to have Timothy Weah start over Paul Ariola, to me that it doesn't really hold ground just because why wouldn't Greg just start Timothy Weah in the first place? Because I, I think Greg wanted to go with his boy and I think he wanted to stick to the players that he trusts, but a potential outside influence told him this is your best 11. You know, your job is potentially on the line tonight. You make your choice. And then when given that type of ultimatum, potentially he went, 
you know what? As much as I love my boy Paul here, the best choice is to play Timmy Weah. Again, get your tinfoil hats ready. I'm, a, I'm in for it. <laughs> Worth noting that Paul Ariola did not even make, make the bench for DC United this weekend. Fair enough. Maybe he just did that so that we wouldn't go down the rabbit hole. Right? <laughs> this is all part of the plan. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's deep state stuff going on here, guys. <laughs> In some way, your question to me, like, if that happened, while I'm happy that Timothy Weyes saw the field, I would be concerned if the coach doesn't have the final say. Like, if, if you're saying Ernie Stewart came up and said, you know, out of concern for the Federation and for this team, you need to start Timothy Weah, then I don't really want that to be the case either. Does that make sense? Like I want the coach to be the coach of the team and yeah. have that final say. And maybe not player selection per se, but I it wouldn't shock me. I would not be electrically charged to find out that Ernie or McBride came down before the game and just said, Three points or meet me in my office afterwards. We need to talk. Yeah. But again, if that's the case and he's like, oh, crap, I should probably start Timothy Way <laughs> if I want three points. <laughs> and like, what is he doing in the first place? So the, the some relationship is deep in there. Yes. You know, okay, that is one thing that I do. I wasn't expecting to talk about, but you've just reminded me and I just need to say it because it's been on my mind lately. Um, when it came up that Chris Richards might have been sent back to Hoffenheim early because they had a game like the day after the Costa Rica mm -hmm. game, like when that rumor started to fly, we started to have this, these conversations around Greg really allowing clubs and players to influence the roster and the lineups. And I think that is a theme, even though it didn't turn out to happen with Chris Richards sending back. I do think there is a theme that comes up and bubbles up a lot with Greg wanting to alleviate tension and not make anyone feel bad and that either goes with not starting players starting players uh not calling in like joe scally if for instance if if gladbach told greg hey scally's healthy but we want to keep him here because he's played a lot of games and we want him to be get ingrained in the team it's a fifa window so it's still greg's call if Gladbach has an issue with that, go to FIFA and have an issue with it. It's not USSF's issue. It's not Greg's issue. It's not Joe Scali's issue. They have to release him. And I do think while we don't know exactly what's happening in all of these scenarios, I, it just seems that Greg really likes to allow others to make decisions on his behalf so that he doesn't need to tell them bad news or make anyone feel bad. And I don't think that really gives us the best 11 or the best roster. Yeah. It doesn't instill faith when you realize your coach is being influenced by outside sources or potentially, you know, making his roster decisions and his 11 based on, you know, if a player is going to be called back in to their club situation, which by the way, tip of the hat in 48 hours, Chris Richards was able to go 90 minutes for the U S and sub on in Play. I think it was 67 minutes, something like that, for Hoffenheim. Must be nice to be 21, man. Intercontinental flight, 48 hours, <laughs> and to put in that type of performance on both games is, is really impressive. It was essentially less than 48 because it was like midnight our time, or midnight or one in the morning in mm -hmm. Europe. 
and when the Costa Rica game was, and then it was like 7 p.m. when he played in the Hoffenheim game. So it was we like have enough- 43 hours or something. Yeah, we have enough time <laughs> scheduling our podcast. I don't know that math is, uh, is our strong suit here and trying yes. to get everything right in the time zones. <laughs> Just to let everybody in on the the behind the scenes, it's always a struggle. Like, so is this what time for you, Tom? And that means it's this for me. Like it's so around forty eight hours, roughly. But I see, I definitely see your point. Forty three, more accurate. I think from now on, we'll just leave our numbers up to Tom. He's he's our math guy. Fact check us, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's roughly. It's. It, I'm an astrophysicist. Forty hours is good enough for me to sort of ballpark figure it. Um, but yeah, where it's worth noting that you know Greg seems to like the let the club sort of tell him yes or no. But my question is, yeah, we want a good relationship with these clubs. What's more important than World Cup qualifying windows for like currying that favor? Like. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter that they might not get called in for X friendly because they don't like you if they're not being called in for World Cup qualifying windows because they don't want to. Like, spend your built in good favor that you've spent years building up on these windows where it's really important. Like, not all these players are going to the World Cup. You've got an idea of some of the, who those are going to be. So, like, use your goodwill and get some points now so that we actually get to the World Cup and can cross that bridge when we get there. It's a very good point. Very good point. Last thing I'll say on this is that when Greg was asked about his roster size, so before the window, we were saying you're allowed as many as you want. Why don't you call in 30 plus? Why don't you get all these players who you're saying you want them to get experience with the team, experience with the team? And one of his answers to that of why he only brought in 27 or 28 was because he doesn't like leaving people off the roster and having to tell them that they're not going to dress. And to me, again, that's your job as a coach. What what does it matter if two or three additional people on the roster aren't dressing? You you already told Legette in Costa, in the Costa Rica <laughs> game that he's not dressing for the game. So that is your job as a coach and to placate to these players and to these clubs because he doesn't want to make them feel bad. That doesn't do us any favors of actually qualifying for the World Cup. No, nah, man, it's not AYSO. You can't be worried about hurt feelings right now. <laughs> yes. This is World Cup qualifying. In, you know, we these guys are all grown adults. Now, granted, some of them are pretty young and emotional, which we can talk about that a little bit later too. Uh, but, yeah, these guys are professionals. They, they need to know that even having the opportunity to come in and train with the team, even if it's just training, that that could set you up come 2022. you got to have that long-term vision. Yep. Yep. All right. So I had a four. Ryan, you had a six. Tom, 6.5. Average it out. Pretty, pretty okay. Pretty mild and mediocre window for us. I think that calls to our next segment, Stars and Strikes, that there's going to be lots of people on both sides of this. So let's start with some stars. Uh, Tom, who are the stars of the window for you? Stars of the window. Let's see. I've got three stars of this window, especially looking back at the Costa Rica game, which I'm going to let sort of be biased. We had stars from, uh, I guess it was the Jamaica game last pod. So this time I'm going to go with my first star to Tyler Adams again. I feel like this is going to get repetitive. I'm going to have to start doing stars and strikes other than Tyler Adams and Miles Robinson because, <laughs> like, it's just unfair giving a star to Tyler Adams every single time because he's just so good. Every single time a ball came his way, like snuffed out the attack, sent it back the other way. He just doesn't make mistakes. He's always in the right position. Nothing gets by him. And it's just such a 
like a beauty to watch him play midfield. He's also so good at building from the back. I noticed a few different times where he would get into a tight space, the ball would come to him, and he plays a beautiful little half turn, gets the ball out, and it's going upfield. I'm not sure any other midfielder in our pool can do what he does. It's just, it's a joy to watch him work, and he's easily the most important player to the national team right now. My second star is going to go to Yunus Musa because, man, he was everywhere, and he was lights out, especially in the first half against Costa Rica. He played wonderful. He was probably our best player against Panama as well, had a great game against Jamaica. He's showed he deserves not just a roster spot, but a starting spot in the roster. He, you know, combined so well with Serginho Dest. He was putting in crosses. He was winning balls. He's so excellent playing that little half turn and driving at defenders. He's strong. I just, he plays so much older than 18 years old. And it's, it's awesome. I'm, I love watching him play. Last but not least, my third star, my man of the match for Costa Rica and sort of a standout player was Serginho Dest. Cause Wow. <laughs> he was fantastic. Costa Rica basically had no answers for him. They basically said, okay, here's Dest, go get the ball and drive. And he just, he made the Costa Rican back line, you know, cower in fear all night long of him. Had a wonder strike goal, had an assist or assist on the second goal. I, you know, oh, just great performance, great window for him. And I love all of his little flair. He just, a Rabona pass for no reason in the middle of a 1-1 World Cup qualifier is the kind of skill I like to see and the confidence I like to see. When it works out. <laughs> True. When it works. Ryan, how about you? Who are your, who are your stars? <laughs> uh, you know, I would definitely echo that Serginho Das, I think, comes away as one of the most influential players from the window. I mean, really, everyone Tom lists it off. So to try to dig a little bit deeper, uh, I want to really point out that everyone always talks about the flair of Dest and how technical he is. A player that I think is just the same is Timothy Weah. He's so smart for a young player. I really think he took a lot of away from his time at PSG that he's been able to build on. Because when you look at the run, you look at the runs he makes in behind the line. You look at the way he reads the game, and then like for instance, his goal. This was talked about on, on TV, but as well, I, I, I think it's a really good point. I think a lot of other players touch that more than once versus he's able to rotate on the ball and just hammer that thing. A lot of people want to say that, you know, Navas would have saved that. We'll never know. I mean, you can debate that till the cows come home. But still, tip of the hat to Timothy to have the ability to even know where he's at on the field, like while not even really having a good look at it and being able to turn and strike that with the quality that he did, I thought was really impressive. Um, secondly, coming out of the window, I really want to point out again, Brendan Aronson. I think he's just been so influential for this team and Greg's going to have some really tough choices. A lot of the guys that we're talking about right now, when you try to fit all those guys into an 11, it, it's impossible. You can't fit them all in when you have players like Reyna and Pulisic coming back into the lineup. Maybe those are some of the guys that maybe end up on the bench. I don't know. Um, and then lastly, one of the stars that I, I would point out, and this one might catch some heat, but I'm going to point out Zach Steffen's feet. Zach Steffen's feet are one of the stars of this window, specifically obvious, the Costa Rica game. I love Matt Turner as a shot stopper, but there was a couple times during that Panama game and not that Stefan's immune to this, but where 
Turner really put us in some bad spots. Uh, if you look at some of the buildup in the first goal, I believe it was against Costa Rica, that's Zach Steffen being calm on the ball and playing that beautifully little weighted pass. And I, I don't know that that's totally in Turner's locker. I think under that type of pressure, Turner just boots that ball long. So I think we said before the game when we were picking on who we would have put in goal, I still would have put Turner in because I think that's the time that you need to get his mind right is when he has a little bit of a shaky game to say that we're behind you 100%. So Greg, I think, has really created a difficult situation for himself. I don't know that Turner had played poorly enough, but with the way that Stefan played with his feet, I don't put the first goal on him at all. I don't think Turner stops that either. Uh, so it's really a conundrum going forward. And I don't know, you know, who we're going to be, who's going to be our number one keeper going forward, especially given that a little bit now, Stefan got more regular minutes going back to city. So yep. those, those three for me, I think are really big. I mean, my options are limited in stars to yeah. <laughs> repeat you guys. I was going to actually say Stefan's passing was really nice to see. Uh, and again, I, I do still think Turner is a better shot stopper. I feel probably more comfortable with Turner in goal, but I do think we have a battle for this first uh, this first option in, in the goalkeeper position. Again, yeah. especially as uh, we'll touch on later in the tweets of the week, the time that Zach Steffen got in the Premier League this, this weekend, getting a shutout against Burnley, having a big save, playing well with his feet again. There are a lot of considerations for Greg in which goalkeeper you choose in these upcoming games. And that first goal that we did score against Costa Rica, that did start with the Stefan pass out of pressure. And all of that started from, from his foot. So I to not belabor any of those points, I was going to say probably Brendan Aronson or Zach Stefan as my other stars. I want to touch on one of the pieces that you were maybe skirting around, Ryan, which was how we get our best players on the field in a starting 11. Are you guys of the mindset that Brendan Aronson needs to be in the starting 11, even when everybody is healthy at this point? Oh. There, not, I feel like there's no I'm wrong there. answer. I, if they're going into a must win game, because there are elements that Aronson brings. Everyone wants to talk about Paul Ariel's work rate and he, he runs so much. He tries so hard. Yeah. So does Brennan Aronson, except he's way better in the final third. So that that's my that's how I look at the reasons why we shouldn't have Ariola back in this lineup. Just me, because we have how many like work rate guys do you really need? I think Brennan Aronson fills One. that role. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Brennan Aronson does that, dude. The guy never stops. So between like having players like him and Adams on the field at the same time that Brendan Aronson has been one of the most influential players throughout this qualifying. Uh, I, I think in a starting 11, oh, so the, I guess the question is, if, if you want to get him in there, then you're playing him on the wing, I would presume. And if you're playing him on the wing, I pre presume we're all going with Pulisic. <laughs> What's up, Dempsey? Uh, <laughs> and then are you moving Reyna into the middle and messing with MMA? Or is Reyna on your bench? I mean, for me, if we were to do that lineup, and I know Tom is going to disagree, so I'll, I'll go to Tom next, but I would put, right now, gun to my head, I would put Reyna in McKenney's spot. 
and have a midfield of Tyler Adams, Yunus Musa, and Gio Reyna. And I will say for Dortmund this season, when he's been playing and when he's been healthy, he has been a true eight. He has been asked to have defensive responsibilities, Gio Reyna. And yeah, I think at this point, at this moment in time, that would be my best starting 11. But Tom, I think you disagreed with having Aronson in the best 11. What's your take? I I don't want to mess with the MMA midfield. I I like Reyna. I don't think you need Musa and Reyna in the same lineup. I think that they both provide fairly similar skill sets of driving at defenders, being able to sort of play on the half turn and go. I think you would miss McKenney's passing range. I think you would miss his just sort of bulldog nature, his ability to just sort of run guys down. There were so many times in this window where we saw, you know, an attack would get started and McKenney would slow them down and Adams would finish the job. And I, as good as Reyna is defensively, I don't think that he's sort of going to make give you the same skill set. So I think you need McKenney and Adams on the field together. And McKenney's long diagonal switches on the ground are just, they're gorgeous. I, I would hate to lose that from the lineup as well. For yeah. me, Reyna's a winger and you have a high pressing striker to sort of overcome Pulisic and Reyna's lack of pressing ability. I think Brendan Aronson in the last 30 minutes of a close game is a great sub. I think he's a great rotation piece to breathe Reyna in like an away game. I don't think you mess with the MMA midfield, and I think you play Reyna out of position in order to get him closer to goal and sort of give us another attacking threat and relieve some of the pressure on Pulisic to produce. Yeah, maybe we're we talking, just uh... <laughs> we're talking about like a sixty-five minute, sixty-fifth minute sub of Aronson and Wea coming off your bench, like as your wingers. Yeah, if, if we need if a game where we need a goal and maybe things aren't working the right way, if Pulisic or Reyna's looking tired, they're just not in it for the game. When you can have two guys like that, and we're not even talking about De La Fuente yet, like it's it's insane to me that those are the three guys we're talking about bringing in for winger depth. So I, I see your point, Tom. I definitely would agree that they bring different styles of, of play and bringing Aronson in with that work rate uh, could definitely be a significant influence, especially on tired legs. I think Wea brings a lot of the same to the table. So it's, it's tough to say. I think we're in a beautiful situation right now with the five players we're talking about. So it's, yeah. I, I don't think there's a lineup that comes out that I'm like, oh, damn it. What, like, what do you mean? Aronson starting? Oh, shucks. Like, that doesn't disappoint yeah, me. Only that's if not, Ariola is on that team sheet. That's not <laughs> Ariola. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And one other quick thing and, while we're still talking about stars is I did want to shout out somebody that really kind of leveled up for me. I, I didn't, I hadn't seen a lot of him play, but I was really impressed. And we haven't touched on it yet is Busio. I think Busio really looked impressive in there. One thing I think the USMNT depth-wise is significantly missing right now is a backup six. And I'd be interested to see, you know, have that conversation with you guys on players that can fill that role. I don't know if now's the time or we can save that for another day. We've put a lot of names out there. Busio was great in his little cameo he had. How has Anthony Robinson not come up in this discussion at all? Like, he was phenomenal in every single game he played. Like, just completely torched Costa Rica and Jamaica. No one has an answer for him right now. It's it's amazing. I love watching him play. He might be my new favorite player in the entire pool. I just love his game. Oh damn, we're going there. <laughs> the one the one thing the one thing we know for sure is his finishing rate on and off the field are pretty impressive. Because congrats, he's <laughs> gonna be a new father. We're we're really happy for for Robinson. 
Uh, great goal celebration this past weekend for him. <laughs> I think put the ball under his shirt, celebrated mm-hmm. the pregnancy. Nice. Um, man, We, I mean, if you started, if you were in the starting 11 for Jamaica or the Costa Rica game, then you're on the stars list. I mean, those were some of the best performances as a team <laughs> that we've seen for the U.S. in the last two years, maybe. Minus Areola. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and I do just want to kind of level us as well. Reina, um, all of these other players are 18. Eunice Musa, 18. Timothy Way is 20. Two years ago, these players were in the NYCFC Academy. They were at the Arsenal Academy. They were not getting reps at PSG. Just imagine two years from now, like what new 18-year-olds or what what uh, new nephews of <laughs> like Eddie <laughs> is going to come up and, and score some insane goals. Like there's, there's a pipeline of talent now that we can look forward to and be excited about. I think we don't even know the names of those next five or 10 people that we'll be talking about in 10 years. Um, okay, so that's a little feel-good music for all of you listening. Let's talk about strikes. Who who are you striking out of this camp? Who didn't show up when they needed to? Uh, Tom, let's start with you. I've got one big strike, and it's Sebastian Legette. Sebastian Legette was awful this window. Just not good. He only got one game, but the Sebastian Legette experiment for me has to end. I just... Eunice Musa's played him out of a starting spot. Busio looks ready to play him out of a backup spot. And he just offered nothing going forward. He just has looked sloppier and sloppier every single game he plays. He has Jackson Ewell syndrome where he just has the yips. He's in his own head and he needs some time away from the national team to figure it out. And I just don't see the point of carrying him anymore. He's my big strike. As much as I hate to say it, because I'm a big Kellen Acosta fan. He was also a strike for me this window. I, you know, would have liked to see him play better and sort of cement his roles at second six. He just didn't do that. He had his worst game in a while against Panama. So, yeah, for me, it's those two. Those are the big strikes. Paul Ariola is going to come up time and time again as we continue this conversation. But I didn't think he played terrible against Jamaica. And, you know, the midfield was so bad against Panama that I can't really fault anyone in that front three. So I'm really going to stick to criticizing that midfield. (laughs) Ryan, how about you? Yeah, no, Tom, I think you're exactly correct that we've seen through the first couple of windows that this team starts and stops with its midfield selection. Uh, So I I would definitely echo it to where Acosta, I think Acosta has a role on this team. For me, I wouldn't exile him. Uh, I think when you're up one, two, nothing, in the 75th minute and you need to bring a guy on in the midfield that's energetic and can close the game out. I'm totally for bringing Acosta there. Legit. Uh, for me, you know, he's, he's, he's just not uh, at the level to he, uh, with this squad. I, he, he just doesn't offer enough. Um, and, and to, to pile on it, one of the topics of conversation that you've seen flying around is he didn't dress for the Costa Rica match. And then he didn't celebrate the win with the team. You know, people want to say, oh, passion at the moment. No, that moment was 90 minutes. You don't get 90 minutes to be ticked off and not celebrate with your teammates. When you get notified, hey, put your warm-ups on. No need to even, you know, dress up. You can leave your tennis shoes on. 
I totally understand. That's the moment that you can be pissed off for 20 minutes. But to see you not celebrate your team and you're supposed to be one of these veteran leaders in the group, uh, for me, that that's kind of enough to to say that we've seen what we need to see from Legit. If, if I can quickly interject as well and not to disprove all of your points on Legit, I do think a few weeks ago his sister had passed away and a lot of people were saying, you know, he's he's not in the right mindset. But again, that goes back to a selection issue, not really a Legit issue. If you're there, then you have to be of the mindset that you're 100% there. And mm-hmm. if you're not able to, that's that's absolutely your right. But then you shouldn't be there with the team trying yeah, to look play. At, look at Tim Ream. I, I'm not sure what was going on family-wise, but I just know that he didn't come to camp because he reported family issues. Like, that's a veteran. That's a mature move. But you don't get to play both sides of the fence. And, and by all means, I, d- I don't want to come across harsh to anybody that's lost a family member and, you know, especially to legit losing his sister, um, having lost family members that are close to me, like my mom, like it's, it crushes you. I get it. Take time away. So yeah, just, just don't play both sides of the fence. Go ahead and take your time off. Uh, so I don't want to belabor the point of, you know, beating up on him, but just to talk about his play, not necessarily his actions, his play isn't at the level. When you look at how much better our team looks when we have, MMA in the midfield, or if you want to sprinkle in Luca De La Torre, or I would really love to see even a little bit of Gio Reyna in there. Um, I think there's, there's just not enough room for him. There's only 23 spaces. You know, it's not, it's not everybody getting participation trophies. So it, I think that's, we've seen enough. We know what we get from him and it's time to move on. Um, other strikes uh, is going to be obviously the selection for just having seven changes there are MLS guys that I like, you know, having Pepe in there, having Miles Robinson in there, having uh, Matt Turner in there, even having Acosta come sub in in late in the second half. There are MLS guys that can fit roles in this team. But when you go away to a team that we've never lost to and you make seven changes, and even in the first question that you get asked in the postgame press conference, your response is, well, we felt like we could get at least one point with this lineup. It's not good enough. So those would be the two biggest strikes for me. And I'm going to kind of put two of our, our segments here together of Tweets of the Week because I don't think this one made the list. But my third strike just from this past week is going to be the Trinidad and Tobago Twitter account trying to tweet out Dante Seeley's goal like he's one of theirs. Uh, you know, that, that's a strike in my book. He's one of our own, and uh, you know he's coming out of that great FC Dallas Academy. That you know, I think we need to get some USA flags in that in that response, and and let Dante Seeley know that we love him. I'm not too worried about the Jamaican Federation <laughs> taking any of our players. Trinidad, Trinidad, taking, yeah, oh, Trinidad, yeah. I was going to say ju- even less worried. <laughs> yeah, if there's a uh, more of a disaster of a federation than Jamaica, it's Trinidad. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even get their own players to report, so I'm not too worried about Dante Sealy. Um, so how dare they, man? How how have I not heard the name Giassi Zardes come across this desk in the strikes conversation? I'll be honest, man. He I wasn't that bad. Him. He wasn't that bad. Honestly, the midfield was so bad against Panama that I basically gave the entire front three a pass there for being invisible because. Even Tim Weah had 17 total touches, and he's a much better player than anyone else who started that game. And, you know, Jossie came on and did exactly what we want the MLS guys to do in that Costa Rica game. He made a tackle. He made a pass that Matthew Hoppy should have scored. 
And then he had a game-ending clearance to sort of finish the thing out defensively. And that's what I want from a striker at the end of that game, is just to come on and say, this is it, we're shutting it down. So is he like our work rate guy? Fire. <laughs> he's, he's, he's my work rate guy. I don't want Legette, I don't want Ariola, but Zardes is my work rate guy. He just can come on and be a nightmare for tired legs and conquer calf at the end of a game. So if we could have that conversation, one of the things that you know, Sargent has always been tagged as is he's the work rate guy. So just tell me, Tom, what is it that you see in Zardes? And I feel like I'm already setting this up, but I know what your answer is going to be, but still let's have the conversation. <laughs> what does Zardes offer work rate wise that you, or in his overall game that you don't see from Josh Sargent? Finishing. <laughs> Zardes is a twice better, twice as good of a finisher as Sargent. That chance that Sargent had against Norwich this weekend, Zardes puts away every single day of the week. To me, that one was confidence. It's confidence like for groundskeepers. Water the water the grass. I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna make excuses. I'm gonna make excuses all day. I'm not gonna lie. The way Tom sleeps on a Jazzy Zardes pillow at home, I do the same thing for Josh Sargent. Not many people are sticking up for the gingers in this world, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my peeps. He's going to come around. I totally agree with you, Tom. It's a confidence issue. I didn't know you guys had feelings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, any other strikes? I, I would say George Bellow was not at the level that I wanted to see. But again, exactly. it's like I can't really fault all of those players in that Panama game because there was no continuity. Like if you switch two or three players from a team that just had their best performance against Jamaica, and then they shit the bed, then I'm giving you a strike. But it's really tough for me to look at the performance that George Bellow had and say that was his fault. The whole team was disastrous. But to me, if I'm going to pick someone out, it was probably the wingbacks. Um, Yedlin, more like everyone didn't have the best game or what I would expect from them on the wings. Yeah, and and Scally proving himself this past weekend – I think one thing that was really important to see was mid game. He switched from right wing back over to left wing back. Like I think Dest is maybe the only other player in our, in our pool that could do something like that. So to have a young 18 year old that also has defensive bite though, like the dude's thick. So he can go into a shoulder shoulders tackle and, and stay up. Busio sure can go into a slide tackle hard, but shoulder to shoulder that dude's getting bodied off the ball. But you can see it in Scally's game. He's got that. He's got the upper body strength to actually go shoulder to shoulder with somebody. And that's something I would love to see in the next window. You heard it here first. Joe Scally is dummy thick. That's right. We want him in the team. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move to tweets of the week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to do this first one. And then my cats are yelling in the background. So I'm going to let you guys take the next two. But this one is from the Manchester City News, the eveningnews.co.uk. They cover Manchester City, obviously. And their tweet is looking at the Zach Steffen performance this weekend in the Premier League. It says, Zach Steffen might be too good to sit behind Ederson at Manchester City. Later on, Pep Guardiola had really glowing things to say about Zach Steffen and his improvement with the team. So I'm just going to ask you guys a quick question. Pep Guardiola loves Zach Steffen. Man City fans love Zach Steffen. Why don't U.S. fans love Zach Steffen? I think it's the house divided, man, and which is weird to me. I would love to see 
the people that are are more pro MLS, I would just love to see them as well start to realize that you know Zach Steffen is out of like he came out of Columbus. Before that, he was playing, you know, University of Maryland. Yeah, he had his stint at Freiburg that didn't work out so hot, but came back to MLS and, and he is a product of the United States. Like so to see him doing well, uh, I think is really exciting to see. Eventually, I, I don't know if it's after this year, but I, I I think he does need to be seeing regular minutes. And I think the moment Zach Stefan is seeing regular minutes, it will be no questions asked that he he's our number one. When he was getting peppered at Dusseldorf like a, a team that just took like 15 shots a game. He showed that he's a great shot stopper. Uh, so I, I definitely think it's, it's in his bag. It's something that he's very good at, but he does have that next level passing. I don't know, Tom, is there a reason that you think that people are still back stateside, not fully sold on Stefan yet? I mean, Stefan for me, I think it's the same thing for me. It's his minute situation. I think there's a large subset of the U S fans who are bitter that he's chosen a paycheck at Man City for a very comfortable backup job instead of a starting job at a top five league team. I think he's good enough for it. I think he knows he's good enough for it. But, you know, the Man City backup keeper job is a comfortable job. And that, I think, rubs U.S. fans the wrong way because they want to see their players go out and challenge themselves. Someone like Pulisic, who's, you know, fighting every single week to keep his spot at Chelsea, sort of is a good feel-good story for U.S. fans that they're sort of, doing the hardworking American thing. And Stefan's sort of not quite doing that. He's sort of taking an easier route. Um, not to say he won't always do that, but that's sort of what I think the American fans who are unhappy with him are on about. No, I, think I also that's think really there's, fair and great perspective. Yeah. 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 I think there's also something to be said for, you know, U.S. fans – have always been this way. They like their guy and their guy only. And anyone else who has a good game can't be someone they can praise because it's not their guy. And, you know, Stefan has sort of lost his favor. Turner's been on great form. And, you know, there's a certain subset of U.S. fans who are just not going to admit that Stefan can have good games too because he's not their guy. So maybe Greg is the perfect coach for us <laughs> since he loves to have a ton of guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. The ultimate wants... USMNT Twitter user. <laughs> exactly. He's got a burner out there somewhere. We know it. If only he would listen to us, damn it. <laughs> All right. Who's, who's taking the Dest one? Tom, you take it. Okay. Um, Dest being applauded by fans in his return to Barcelona this weekend gives his, uh, gives his shirt to a kid in the stands. Great to see. Um, this has been a hot topic this weekend for U.S. MNT fans. Serginho Dest starts at right wing for Barcelona and balls out with an assist against Valencia and terrorized their back line the entire game long. So love to see that support from Barcelona. Love to see Dest giving back to the kids in the stands. And also just, you know... Love to see Sergio Dest playing right wing. What did you guys think about that? Uh, you want I, I can jump in here, Jake. Like for me, for it. it's it's not something I want to see on a regular basis. And simply because what we were talking about a little bit earlier, we're struggling to get wingers on the field like Pulisic, Geo, Aronson, Wea, Conrad. Like that's our winger depth right now. So I think if you can find a way to get Dest on the field with talented players like that, I think overall it makes our 11 better. Does Dest have 
his weaknesses on the defending at end of the field. Sure. You know, he can get caught out of position, but I think that's why we're lucky to have, you know, someone like miles Robinson, they can cover for him. and is a great one. one V one defender. And then also Tyler Adams blowing things up in the middle of the field. So I think strategically, if you play him the right way and know that, you know, just keep checking your shoulder and don't leave that right side of the field open, leave a little bit of coverage, then I think it makes us that much better offensively being able to have someone with such talent as our wingback. Or I mean, yeah, as our wingback. I mean, look at the goal he scored with his, with his off foot. That thing was incredible. The, the knuckle, not the knuckle, but the bend on that thing was unreal. To beat Kaylor Navas, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And I, I do stand with you on this, Ryan. I think, from the perspective of the USMNT fan, you probably want him playing week in, week out at the position that he's going to play for the national team. We have so many wingers in our depth chart. And to be fair to Dest, he was kind of up in the air after the first window if we wanted to see someone else in that position. And whether that was Joe Scally, whether that was someone else. Um, but now I feel like he's really solidified that position and we see him as the future the right back or left back for us. Um, I do think it, there's going to be good things that come out of this. If we play a three in the back system and have him as a wing back, then these traits and skills go over to that. But for me, I would rather see him getting week in and week out minutes in La Liga at Barcelona in a four in the back, if that's where we're going to play for the national team in his position that he plays for the national team. But that's that's more just selfish. Like That's not to say that he can't play right wing for Barcelona and come and play right back for the U S that could potentially be a scenario that we see, but we'll have to see what Coleman decides. We'll have to see how Joe Scally develops. There's a scenario where Dest is right wing. Joe Scally is right back and Musa is the midfielder on the right side of the field. And there's just an insane amount of talent on, <laughs> on the right side of the U S field. But that, that's kind of my take on it. I don't know if you guys, are swayed by that or not. But I do think for all the players, I just want to see them play in their preferred position for the U.S. Yeah, also no, means we're one step closer to the all right backs starting 11 that I've always wanted to see us product. <laughs> we're so close. So close. <laughs> we're, we're definitely getting there, man. All One right, other quick Ryan, question. If, I, I know yeah. we're trying to be get short on it, but is Dest going to be our first like global superstar compared to, to Pulisic? I mean, he's playing at Barcelona. The Barcelona fans are crazy for him. The little clips you saw even down in uh, El Salvador before the game. Now, granted, Pulisic wasn't in the picture, but every single fan was Serginho, Serginho, Serginho. Like that guy, I think, could be the first U.S. worldwide superstar. I think he's at the right club for it. And I think he has the right desire for it. Yeah. (laughs) Like in a very weird way, this isn't to say that he's conceited or selfish or any of those things, but I think he likes the spotlight. That's not just to do with his flair as a player and how he plays, but just kind of reading into his tweets, his like off season travels and, and all those things. Like I think that he is the player that would want the attention and that would try to garner that worldwide superstar kind of, spotlight whereas Pulisic he is in the position like he's the number 10 for Chelsea right he plays insanely well when he's healthy 
but I don't think he likes to do interviews. I don't think he really enjoys the spotlight, to be honest. So, so for me, like, yeah, I think Dust, if everything goes to plan for him, could be that that guy. What do you think, Tom? I think so. I my sister and I talk about this regularly. Pulisic is like plain white toast. Like he's not really got a whole lot of personality to him off the side of the pitch. And Dust seems to have sort of that flair about him where he just he wants the spotlight. He wants to sort of, you know, try every single trick in the book to get him on YouTube compilations. He, you know, he took his time on that victory lap against Costa Rica, which I love to see, (laughs) where he walked the entire perimeter of the field, high-fived every single player, like pumped the crowd up. You don't really see that from Pulisic, but you do see it from Dest. Dest is the type of guy who loves the spotlight, and if he balls out for Barcelona, he's going to be in the spotlight. Yeah, absolutely. You see see Dest do this celebration while you see Pulisic do this one. (laughs) Exactly. you got to love to have both ends. Before we move to the next tweet, I do want to just call out for anyone watching how clear, how crystal clear Tom's webcam is now. We have upgraded. (laughs) He looks amazing. His room looks amazing. And we just need to get him out of Socorro, New Mexico, so he can get a better internet connection. And we'll be all set. Brian, take us home. Last tweet of the week. And maybe we can have that number six discussion after that. Yeah, definitely. So this one comes from CONCACAF Edgar. Um, it's not sure if anyone has been keeping up with these two players, but both Cappies and Tillman have been enjoying good form with their respective clubs. Both can play the eight and the six. Maybe it's time to try out one of these new faces and find a backup for Tyler Adams. Uh, Cappies is coming off, you know, just an incredible weekend scoring the game winner. Uh, if you, the, the clip of it is starting to float around, but you can definitely see the crowd in at Bronby. They love this guy. You can hear chants of USA in the background when he scores. So it's it's amazing to see that, you know, I love to see this because not every path has to be MLS to Bayern or MLS to BVB or even just some of these big clubs. Go work your way through Europe because I definitely think that on the horizon, Capis has a transfer coming in to where he could maybe move into next be the, the Belgian league or move over to France. Even I think his game is at that level to where he can, he can start, you know, maybe move to Venezia. This could be, maybe he'll be the next person for them to sign. Uh, so I, it's, it's really impressive to see. And then Tillman is the often forgot about everyone talks about his little brother, but you know, I think he's been performing really well for the U 21 Germany team. So he, he might be lost, but maybe as a way to get him to consider the U.S. And, and not just as a cheap cap tie, but Tillman really has, he's been getting more minutes recently than Julian Green at Groy So I think, you know, another guy that's never gets talked about, but is U.S. eligible and is playing in a top five league and getting minutes week in and week out. So it, it's pretty impressive. Sure, he doesn't have any sort of time with Greg or with the team at all. So it, it would be tough to bring him in. Uh, but I definitely think it's a player that, no one ever talks about and should at least be on the radar. Cause right now backups for the number six people have talked about Acosta there. And I, I don't want to see a cut. Co- like I don't want to see Tyler Adams be out for any reason. And then us be starting Acosta at the six. He he'll be okay, but I, I don't know if he's quite the guy. So, I mean, I've seen names like uh, Durkin floated around or, you know, if Taylor Booth, can, I think personally, if Taylor Booth can get the right, transfer he's a guy that has immense talent and can rock it up people's lists 
But from these two guys, have you been tracking them at all? And like, what have you guys seen from both Kappas and Tillman? Tom, how about you? I mean, I, so I'm very hesitant because of players like Romain Gall who have gone the, you know, Scandinavian route and, you know, flopped as soon as they've tried to go somewhere else. And so I'm a little bit hesitant of anyone having success at Bronby just because historically our prospects that go to those leagues don't end up, you know, having great success once they leave those leagues. So let's see how Cappy can perform once he gets out to a different league. I do love his dad on social media, though. His dad's so wholesome. He's so happy every single time Christian plays. So, yeah, I'm hesitant there. I, you know, Tillman's an interesting name. Would be great to see him get a shout. I do think we need to sort of keep testing players as Adam's backup. But I'm more sold on Tillman than I am on Christian Cappy right now just because of, you know, clubs like that can be deceiving. Because even if you're, you know, playing really well, your competition is never great. I'm kind of flip-flopped on that. Um, To me, yeah, obviously the Danish league isn't great, but he is playing in Europa League and he's playing for Bromby. So it's not the worst competition. Uh, I also want to confirm, is this Timothy Tillman or Malik Tillman? Timothy Tillman. Okay, Timothy Tillman. Where, Where in the world is Malik Tillman? He is on the Bayern, I believe Bayern 2. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I haven't really tracked Tillman at Firth. Uh, I have seen a lot of highlights from Kappas. Uh, I watched his interview as well. If you guys are interested, I think Tactical Manager did an interview with him a few weeks ago. And he actually said in that interview, he's he's personally more of an 8 than a 6, but his team does use him as both. Um, I think another option... You, you mentioned Chris Durkin. He's definitely been someone that's been on the list and maybe in form. I think he's in Scotland or, or Wales now. Can't remember. Belgium. Okay, Belgium. He's not in a great league, but it, it could do the job. Um, Johnny Cordozo in Brazil as well as yeah. another option that we haven't really talked about. Johnny Soccer. Um, it, it's just the my issue with all of those are that the drop-off from Tyler Adams is so, so large. Like all of them, just in terms of the league that they're playing in or for the team that they're playing for, it seems at the sim- at the same or a similar level as Kellen Acosta. Now, Tillman, I'll give the benefit of the doubt, he's playing in the Bundesliga, but for a team that will likely be relegated this season. Um, for me, it's just a sad state of affairs where we just have such a large drop-off from Tyler Adams. But the only way we're going to find out is if we start to bring some of these other players in and give them a run out. But again, World Cup qualifying is kind of the the biggest thing you need to win, the biggest pressure that there is. So it's not a time to start trying out and start starting to figure out who those backups are. I think realistically for Greg, it is Kellen Acosta. He's the locked-in backup for yeah. Tyler Adams. And to, you, to your point, Ryan, I... I'm not mad at that. I'm not upset if Kellen Acosta is a role player here. He's he's good enough. He had a poor performance against Panama. Um, but Kappas, I could see getting a call up. Tillman, I think he... Did he accept and play for the under-23s for Germany recently? No. Uh, I think you're still thinking about uh, Malik. Okay, his brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Malik uh, definitely is going Germany, but Timothy, I don't think is quite there. 
Okay, so maybe we can say sway Timothy. I'll look at some highlights and some clips from Firth and come back to you on that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah I, mean, I just think be, overall. To be honest with you too, from what I've seen, I, I haven't seen him play a ton of six. Uh, so I don't know. That could be, you know, kind of just seeing what's what's in his game, kind of similar to like a, a Busio. Uh, I, I don't know that they're true sixes, but versus I think Capis from what I've seen, he he maybe prefers the eight, but I, from what I've seen, he's got a he's got a lot of defensiveness to his game. Yeah, he has so, played as a true six. I think he just prefers an eight. Yeah, we don't care Every, about everybody that. wants to be a goal scorer, man. <laughs> Everyone wants to move up the field. It's very it's very rare that people want to move yeah. back. Yeah. All right, that's our tweets of the week. Let's move on to the games that we're watching this week or this weekend. I think there's a lot of good ones. I'll just throw out that we are going to have potentially an American versus an American in the Champions League on Wednesday when Salzburg takes on Wolfsburg. We might have Brendan Aronson take on John Brooks. So I'll be watching that. But I think you guys had maybe 10 to 15 games that were on your list. Let's just start throwing them out. Ryan, you, you want to get us started? Uh, so one game that's even actually going on right now while we're recording that I think every USMNT fan would love to see is Alavis versus uh, Batiste. So that is the Matt Miazga versus Diego Lainez potential matchup. Right now, Miazga is on the field, uh, and Lainez is still – let me see if he's still on the bench. I know he's not in the starting line. He is still lineup. on the bench. <laughs> still on the bench. So if we can How have How many days those, until he's scored? Uh, eight, uh, it's it's 1,800 or 1,089 or something like that at this point. Uh, hats off to the gentleman that's running that account. We all appreciate it. So that's just a, f- a fun one that, you know, by the time this g- comes out, that game will already be over. But hopefully we get to see a little matchup there. I saw a, some rumors floating around that is, is Ederson going to clear to be in enough time, his quarantine to be able to play against Bruce? So he, he's already in Belgium. Mm-hmm. but they don't know if because he hasn't been training with the team that's the rumor right now right is that okay. since he hasn't been training to get around the quarantine rules are they going to play zach Steffen because he has been training and playing with the team yeah and then i'll just i'll just take two more there's there's a bunch but two more that i'm really looking forward to see uh now that tyler adams was able to be rested over the weekend to see him play against psg playing against some of the best talent in the world you love to see some of your boys testing themselves against the best. So hoping the best for Jesse Marsh and Tyler Adams. And, you know, hopefully Tyler Adams puts on a show and, you know, let's, let's the, the Messies and the Neymars and the Mbappes of the world know what the future is going to look like. And then lastly, I think a really exciting one. We, st- I started the episode with him. I'll end it is going to be Hoffenheim versus Munich. Uh, I'll be going down there to watch the game. It's going to be really interesting to see Honus and, the, the coach for Hoffenheim go back to Munich and then also Chris Richards on loan from Munich right now. So a chance to see him go up against those guys and then, you know, even meet up with his boy. I know him and Alfonso Davies are really close coming up through Bayern together. So getting a chance to see him go back home and show his, his hometown club, what they're missing out on. I think it'll be a really exciting game to watch. How about you, Tom? So I'm going to go with the Champions League game that doesn't involve Americans. I like to shout out at least one. Madrid versus Liverpool is going to be an excellent game. Uh, really excited for that one. I think that's probably the best Champions League game of the week. Um, so I'm going to sort of skip over the rest of the European competition and head to the weekend, which has amazing games scheduled. We'll start out in MLS. Um, 
MLS, we get a top two matchup in the Western Conference between Seattle and Sporting KC. Possible preview of a Western Conference final. Really excited for that one. Heading over to Spain, we have El Clasico coming up this weekend, which was just going to be fantastic. Always a great game to watch. Um, got some great rivalries going on in Germany in as well. Um, I maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of no. I'm thinking of Italy. Italy's got some great rivalries. We've got Inter playing Juve. We've got Roma playing Napoli. So great games to watch. If you're the, if you're going to watch some European football, this is the weekend to do it. So basically cancel all your plans and just watch <laughs> soccer for 40, 40 ish hours. Would you say? I'm going 72 this time, Friday to 72. Sunday. Don't leave your couch. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. All right. Last word from this you guys. This podcast is brought to you by DoorDash. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. We haven't been Joking. paid. We yeah. haven't been paid. No That's free, a free advertisement here. to DoorDash. We want our money, DoorDash, if you're listening. <laughs> All right, Ryan, what's the last word from you? Uh, last words for me is, you know, try to take something positive out of this past window. I think it was one of the easiest one. It's the easiest one we're going to have, but we got out with six points, always ending on a win, you know, ending on that high is always something that we hope to carry into the next window. And then next window, other things to be excited about. It's only a two game window. So shouldn't be a lot of rotation. And the first game of the window is going to be USA versus Mexico in Cincinnati. So get ready, guys. It's it's the best game that, in soccer, in my opinion. El Clasico is great, but USA versus Mexico is the best. Nothing like it. Tom, how about you? Last word. I'm going to have, I have a joke last word and a regular last word. My joke last word is, you know, there was some great CONCACAF this weekend. CONCACAFing this weekend. Love to see it from the University of Tennessee. Shout out to them for taking CONCACAF to a new level in the SEC. Um, I don't know if you guys caught that or not, but they trash their own field by throwing golf balls full bottles of mustard and beer cans all over their field at the end of their game hilarious oh. to see <laughs> should be on playing there US were no Mexico. homophobic chants channeling their yeah. inner el salvadorian yeah no uh, people were joking all weekend that we should play mexico in knoxville next time to you know give them a taste of their own medicine lane kiffin got hit by a golf ball hilarious stuff if you haven't seen it you should definitely go check out the video um, but on a more serious note, it was a fine window. I've run some simulations. It's looking like after beating Costa Rica, we've got about a 95% chance to qualify and we're looking really strong for a second place finish that gets us to the world cup. That's, you know, that's the goal of all this. And as long as we're keeping on that pace, I'm going to be happy. I'm really excited to see us Mexico. It's a chance for us to really lock in a spot in the, world cup in 2022 i don't think we're caught if we beat mexico and jamaica so i'm excited to see how it plays out and i'm just sort of relieved that we got the job done as much as we did this window awesome yeah All jacob right. i could one last yeah, thing just just it. to echo just last, to echo last on, word last last <laughs> word just to echo on tom's i feel like we missed out on tweets of the week for this whatever the college football saturday morning show where all the students are in the background holding up signs U.S. soccer has finally gone mainstream. There was a Burhalter outside in the background. So, yep, I did see that. That's from my parents' alma mater too, University of Georgia. <laughs> Shout out <laughs> to UGA for <laughs> making us proud. There you go. <laughs> awesome. My last word is thank you for listening. If you're still here, make sure to drop a like and leave a positive review. If you're listening, we could not be more thankful to everyone that has been showing us support and love. We are constantly getting 
over a hundred listens on our podcast now. A few of our episodes have hit the thousands of views. So it's just amazing to see the growth in, you know, four or five months to, to work with you guys. It's been a pleasure. Again, thanks for all the support. Leave a like, positive review, block your calendars, get on your couch for 72 hours and get your Cheetos out and get ready for some good soccer. And we'll see you next week on the Yanks Go Talking. Good.